Chapter 3 Christian could not help but smile. Things were taking a turn for the better. First off, he was escorted home by the watch, where they recounted what happened, the story being retold a second time from Christian's first-hand account. His mother had been grateful he was alive and unharmed, and did not give a whit about the laundry. This was before he even told her he had been given tickets to the rat. Adding that into the story had only made things better. His father said that Christian and Anne should go, as Thomas had little interest in the theater. But Anne seemed to think that the experience would be good for the whole family, after all that had happened. Christian pointed out that he only had the two tickets, to which his mother said he should go down to the rat and request two more. Embarrassed, but not wanting to disappoint his mother's aspirations for a family outing, Christian returned to the theater the next morning, this time by means of the front door. After knocking long enough to make him question if anyone was inside, the door was answered by a dreary-looking man in a black-and-white clown outfit, paint smudging his features. A black sun-and-moon motif with white stars adorned his face. Christian began to explain why he was there, when the man went into a speech about how it was not heard of to knock upon the theater doors before at least mid-afternoon. Christian inquired as to how one was to gain entrance then, and the clown responded that he had answered his own question. This puzzled Christian into a further explanation, at which point the man shook his head and asked him what his business was. Christian explained his plight, at which point the man held up his finger, calling for silence, and beckoned Christian to enter. He led Christian down a hallway, into a main auditorium, and down one of the aisles. Looking around as they went, Christian studied the sets that adorned the stage. There was a balcony with room for maybe one or two people to stand, overlooking what looked to be a castle floor, or some sort of stone walkway. There were green ropes that he took to be some sort of ivy or trellis covering the wall that led up to the balcony. The background was a nighttime setting with a full moon. Christian remarked that the moon seemed bigger than it should be, and asked how close the place being represented on stage was to the moon. The man responded that in theater, everything was bigger, which spawned more questions from Christian. Several questions and zero answers later, the man led Christian backstage, where they arrived at another hallway. The man informed Christian that Jenner's room was at the last door at the end of the hall and that he should go in if he wished to converse with the thespian. Christian began to ask what a thespian was, but he found himself standing alone in the hallway. He wandered down, noticing a heavy aroma in the air. He was not sure, but reminded him of cake and a fruit stand. It made his head spin. He passed several doors, closed, or opened a crack. He looked for a door with Jenner's name, but found none, before he found himself at the end of the hallway. Backtracking, the last door he passed had a sign that read, Stagemaster Within. The candle burning at both ends doth burn twice as soon, but oh, the light it casts is one to hold on to. Christian wrapped his knuckles on the door, leaning his ear for a response, which there was none forthcoming. He knocked a little harder, which caused the door to swing open for him to peer inside. Before even entering, he coughed a little, the heady scent twice as strong. Christian stood in the doorway, feeling it creep out and embrace him like a fog. 
He waved his hand about a little as he crept forward. A purple and red glow filled the room, lanterns with colored paper sitting on various surfaces. The room itself was much larger than Christian would have thought. Several people in various states of dress were passed out or asleep around the room. Christian turned and took survey of the room for the first time, trying to figure out which of these bodies belonged to Jenner. His eyes settled upon a figure asleep in a hammock, one leg dangling out. A big black captain's hat with a large green plume covered the sleeping person's face, a red sheet covering his waist and legs. But Christian recognized the rapier and frilly shirt from his previous encounter. He approached, stopping before the sleeping man. He gave a light prod on the man's shoulder, which resulted in nothing more than a slight rocking of the hammock. He pushed again harder, with similar results. Jenner, Christian said, and poked the man in the stomach. Back, woman! Christian fell, tripping over his own feet as Jenner yelled out, twisting to the side, hand flailing. His foot struck carpet, and he spun out of the hammock before coming to a settle on the floor, the hat landing on his head, the plume drifting down to settle on his backside. Lord's woman, your persistence is admired, but I already told you. Jenner began, looking up, seeing a befuddled Christian looking back at him in surprise. Oh, Chris, Christian, wasn't it? Jenner stammered, fumbling around, grabbing the sheet as he made his way to his feet, before looking around the room, eyes settling back on Christian. You were here last night, too, were you? Jenner asked, looking around his surroundings with a mixture of confusion and sleepiness. Uh, no. I, uh, came by this morning to... Never call upon an actor before daylight, my boy. It's bad form, Jenner cut in. Yes, the man at the door told me the same, Christian said, climbing back to his feet. How do you know it is not daylight yet? There are no windows in your room. Was I asleep when you entered? Yes, Christian said. A sure sign you'll never find. Jenner dragged his feet about, pulling a barrel over that he righted before plopping down on it, putting the hat back on his head, off kilter, and gave Christian his full attention. So, to what do I owe the pleasure of your arrival into my humble boudoir? A boudoir is a woman's bedroom, is it not? Jenner began gesturing to the two ladies asleep in the bed before he shook his head, closed his eyes, and stifled a laugh. Are you always like this? Like what? Like this? Ah, lords, you've got me doing it now. He laughed, smiling at Christian. Chris, what is it that brings you before me at this hour of the day? My mother wants to take my father and my friend to the show, too, and I was hoping I could get two more tickets. Jenner laughed, reprimanding Christian that he should have said so yesterday, as he had assumed that such a brave man was out on his own with a wife tucked away at home. He rifled through the dresser before returning with two more tickets, releasing them to Christian under the sworn promise that he never call upon him at such an ungodly hour again, which Christian was more than happy to oblige. He then watched Christian out to the door and sent him on his way, mentioning that he'd be sure to hang out after the show so that he could meet the rest of the family. Two days five clothing fittings, and more scrutiny than he cared for from his mother later, 
they were on their way to the Royal Airline Theater. His mother refused to call it the Rat, though Christian rather liked the name. Christian pulled at the collar of his shirt as they walked down Malmont Street toward the Playhouse District. While Christian and Erica had the enjoyment of new outfits, his mother had spent several hours trying on various dresses and gowns from her wardrobe. She had acquired styles from all of the major countries over the years. Oren, Arcturus, even Milan. They became a pile on the bed as each one's flaws stood out to her. She had attended several functions at the mayor's mansion, as well as being a semi-active member in the Tailor's Guild and Seamstress's Guild. But deciding on what she wanted to wear for her first foray into high society had reduced all of her clothes to rags and hand-me-downs. Anne was taking so long, in fact, that she was running late for her hair appointment with her friend Chelsea, which in turn would cause them to be late for the play. And it was going to be missed had Thomas not put his foot down, picked a dress, and lavished compliments upon Anne until she agreed. She was still fussing with her hair as they left, stopping to fuss with Christian's and Erica's hair in the interim. Christian would have made a bigger deal over how crazy his mother was acting, except Erica seemed to be adoring the attention and excitement. Christian did not want to take that from her after all that had happened. He had always been friends with Erica, but having her around all the time had brought them even closer over the past week. She would help him with all his chores. Then, in the evening, he would teach her more letters, numbers, and other practical things he felt she should know. At first, Erica would get so frustrated she would scream, then get up and walk around in a circle. Fists in her hair as if she was going to yank out her two braids, a habit she had picked up from her late mother. But for all her pseudo-tantrums, as Christian called them, she always came back to the table. And after a few days, she would even bug Christian to start teaching her earlier, and working with him longer. It had made him happy, and proud. Two feelings he felt now as he walked next to her down the street. She wore a light green spring dress that she had picked out at the shop. Her two braids, dyed yellow to match the dress, were pulled and looped around her head, resembling a crown of flowers. Anne had braided the rest of her hair into one elegant ponytail, as, unbound, it almost trailed on the ground at her heels, and Anne said it would not do for people to almost trip on her hair. Christian had suggested she just toss her hair over her shoulder so that it would be in front of her, solving the problem, to which the two women just looked at Christian and sighed. He had turned to his dad, who only put his hands up in the customary, don't involve me in this gesture. Erica had spent the better part of the day polishing a little emerald cameo her mother had given her. Christian thought she looked very pretty, being a little smitten. It did not help that Erica seemed to be a little nervous going out in public as she hung to Christian's side, her hand grasping his in what he could only describe as a death grip. But he did not complain. Thomas wore the same suit he wore to every function that required him to wear something less practical than the watch uniform. Christian looked like a shorter, thinner version of his father. When his father had donned his sword, peace nodding the hilt, Christian asked if he could bring black and sky. His mother had turned a ghost shade of white before Thomas explained that the crossbow had not quite reached the level of acceptance at social gatherings. As they walked, Christian asked his father if any word had come back about the coins. 
Thomas said that all signs pointed to one of the northern cities, but which one was unclear. The region bartered in gold, so the actual printing of the coins was not watched as much, as weight was the deciding factor of what a coin was worth. I did hear that there have been a number of attacks of this nature. Family killed, children gone missing. Thomas leaned in and spoke in whispers, letting the din of the people on the street cover their conversation from Erica. Oh, not here, Thomas added, seeing the look of worry on his son's face. But to the north, nearer to the king's lands. Is the king doing anything about it? Christian asked. Not likely, if he even knows. Thomas shook his head. The watch don't bother the king or his guard much for small crimes like this. Peasants gone missing don't worry the nobility. Is that the kind of king he is? Don't know. Never met the new one. His father was able enough. We never saw a war under his or his father's reign. Thomas thought for a moment. This new one is a young one, though. Younger than any of his forefathers when they took the throne. The previous king died without warning. Killed himself. Odd tidings. Do you think the attack here has anything to do with the other attacks going on? Christian continued. Not really enough to go on, say, one way or the other. Yet, if they continue, I'll have to make sure Roland knows what's going on. Who is Roland? Christian asked. Roland Cross, knight captain in the king's army. He was set to become grand commander of the army until he had a vision, and left. He returned months later with a sword forged of pure crystal and bearing a mission from the One God. I thought you said the One God was a bunch of phony nonsense people used as a scapegoat for their problems, Christian interrupted. Whatever qualms I have with the One God, I have none with Roland. I have met the man on several occasions. He's an excellent knight and the epitome of what it means to serve your city and your nation. So, do you think the one god spoke to him? Christian prodded. Something happened to Roland out there, I have no doubt. But as if the god of old spoke to him? Thomas let the thought go unfinished. Whatever happened, I hear no man or Majir could have forged the sword he carries now. It doesn't matter. From all accounts, he's the same man he was before he left, and if not more an agent of justice and honor than he was before. If there's a darker force at work orchestrating these deaths and these kidnappings, Roland will know what to do. Thomas scratched his chin, musing to himself. Yes, if something like this happens again, I must go see him, or at least send word. Christian nodded his agreement. Though he did not know all of the details his father did, he trusted his father, and this Roland sounded like he could help. Come on, enough of darkness, Thomas continued, looking down the street, pointing his finger. Look, there it is, Anne said, smiling. Honey, you've passed through here more times than I can count. The marketplace is right over there, Thomas said, pointing a bit farther down the street. Well, yes, but it's the first time I can point to it and say I'm actually going inside, and not just thinking about it. I was inside it, Christian interrupted. It was nothing special, just a big house with a lot of rooms and props and stuff. And actors. Ugh, ruin my moment. Just take it from me, his mother said, feigning distress. Christian looked to the rat, seeing a small crowd forming at the doors, where people were being let in. 
He led the way forward, getting them in line. They did not seem to be dressed that snooty, Mom, Christian remarked, looking, looking up to his mother. Anne winced as the handful of people within earshot turned around at the comment. Thomas just smiled and waved, recognizing one of the men from the mayor's staff. The man doffed his hat as the rest just turned back, without a word, to the line. Anne smacked Christian across the top of the head, more bluster than bite, to which Christian said, What? in bewilderment. His mother said nothing, and Erica giggled a little, smiling at Christian. The clownish-looking man who had been in the white and black the last time Christian was here was at the door, taking tickets. He had on a gold and crimson suit, and that made him look like he belonged in a king's court somewhere. Christian presented him with the tickets, at which point the man recognized him, smiled, and applauded him for returning at a most reasonable hour. He then waved over a stunning, beautiful young girl dressed like a princess. She offered to take Christian's arm, but he looked between her and Erica, fearing they might bowl over anyone in their path walking three people wide. He coughed, mumbling something, offering his father up, who took the young lady's hand, leading the way. They made their way through a crowd of people outside the auditorium. More performers dressed in crimson and gold were carrying trays of wine, cheese, and various small fruits. They were led up the steps to a second floor, at which point their usher led them around the balcony to a side room, six chairs inside that gave an excellent view across the auditorium. The stage was straight across from them, and gave a clear view of the set and the orchestra pit. His mother asked if they got those neat little lenses you held up to see a closer view of the stage. The usher smiled, explaining that those were used in theaters where the viewer was much farther, and that the Royal Airline did not have a seat in the house that required theater binoculars. The girl mentioned that they were more than welcome to meet the actors in the lounge after the performance, and that she hoped they enjoyed the show. Anne pulled Christian up to the two seats closest to the railing, where Thomas offered her a seat, and took her hand as she sat down, before sitting down next to her. He buried a yawn in his hand as Anne sat there beaming, almost glowing as she took it all in. Christian stifled a cough, pulling himself loose from Erica, then offered her a seat, which she took. Then he stepped up to the railing, resting his elbows on it, and watched the festivities. An hour into the play, and Christian knew he had no desire to ever dress up and pretend to be someone else. Everything was so dramatic. It did not feel real at all. His mother would point out that it was not supposed to feel real. It was supposed to stir your emotions and connect you with and connect with you on varying levels. Christian had a hard time not just seeing people in costumes pretending to be other people. His interest peaked a little when Jenner made his stage appearance, playing the role of some foreign prince, the leading man. And Jenny was the poor twin sister of some snobby princess. He did not understand why she was poor while the rest of her family was rich, but he decided against continued questioning as it seemed to draw ire from his mother. His dad sat, a stoic expression on his face, observing everything, reacting to nothing. Christian aspired to have that kind of patience. Erica also seemed to have a number of questions, though they were all of a nature that Christian felt he could answer with some accuracy. 
He had taken a seat next to her, and she would often lean over and whisper something in his ear. Why do they talk in funny accents? Why are they looking at us when they talk? Why aren't those people that look like watchmen arresting that guy that just killed that other guy? Why are they letting him sing? While he was not quite drawn into the setting, he was very attentive to details regardless, so he smiled every time he felt her hand brushing against his ear as she would lean over, whispering. Actors talk in funny accents because that is how the people talk wherever the play is supposed to be taking place. Well, because the audience does not know what is going on. It is for our benefit, not theirs. Well, I guess in plays they just let them talk. It is probably too much work to build a watch house to have to go down to confess. Well, we would not go what was going on if they did not. And that is how the show went, more or less, for the rest of the evening. When the curtain descended, both Christian and his mother rose to applaud, though both for very different reasons. But they were not alone, and the entire viewing audience seemed to enjoy the show, or they were just going with the flow. Either way, it was the loudest experience Christian had ever had. Erica had her hands over her ears, frowning with a slight pout. As they got up to leave, the crowd flooded out into the lounge area on the second floor and main atrium. Erica did not seem keen on pushing into the ocean of people, so they sat and watched the crowds as people streamed out of the auditorium. Anne said she needed to find the ladies' room, so Thomas said he would go with her. Christian and Erica would wait until they returned. Tommy, hurry up. We already got the word from Valerie. She's in there right now. It was a little above a whisper. Two men were dragging barrels across the floor. They wore brown pants and shirts. Malcolm had short cropped brownish blonde hair, and a crosswork of scars made their way down his face and neck. I could toss the shit down here and nobody would notice. Tommy motioned above his head, the din of people drowning out the majority of the sound. Dust and dirt fell from the supports above as they continued dragging their cargo. She's a lady anyways. She's going to be in the powder at least 20 minutes, maybe 30, because she's got to check her makeup and all that fancy stuff. Wouldn't it seem a bit odd to you if your bathroom suddenly went up in flames? Tommy asked, looking up at the ceiling over their heads. Now he could hear several women conversing, though he could not quite make out what they were saying. That's what these are for, Malcolm said, hoisting a smaller box from nearby and setting it near the barrels. Now help me grab these and stack them. We gotta move faster. And we're sure those brats aren't up there with her? Yeah, positive. She never takes them to the show. Valerie said so. She comes every week, all by her lonesome. I still don't see why we couldn't just sneak into her house and offer. Wouldn't it be nearly as much work? We'd be in and out before anyone was the wiser. Yeah, and a woman with her head caved in isn't going to draw any suspicion at all, Malcolm chided. Sometimes you're an idiot, Tommy. Anyways, the boss said this worked out twice as sweet anyways, seeing as he wants to repay the fellow for interrupting his business. Everyone knows you don't interrupt a man's business. It just ain't social. Ah, you have me there. Tommy said as he pulled a cork out of the side of one of the barrels, proceeding to stuff in the end of a wire, dropping the rest to the ground. A few minutes later, they had stacked their barrels on top of one another, 
then grabbed a few smaller boxes from nearby and put them around the barrels. What's in the boxes? Tommy asked, giving one a little shake before setting it down. Fireworks. They use them for the festivities, but the rest of the time they're just stored down here. Malcolm leaned over and picked up the wire, unraveling it as he started to walk back down the hallway. Come on, Tommy. Believe you me, you don't want to be here when this thing goes off. Scurrying next to Malcolm, Tommy watched as he pulled out a small, short brown cylinder about the size of a cigar. Best money I ever spent, to tell you. Malcolm jested as he pressed one of the cylinders to the wire, a small waft of smoke appearing before the wire started to burn, shooting a few small parks, sparks as it worked its way down the line. Heh, <sighs> our show's going to bring the house down, ain't it? Tommy laughed as they turned and made their way to the stairs. That it is, sir. That it is. What is it about women and restrooms? Thomas thought to himself as he stood outside the room, sliding a coin from his pocket that he had taken to flipping back and forth across his knuckles. The silver piece made its way back and forth three times before he flicked his wrist, sending it spinning end over end into the air. He would wave or give a curt nod as ladies passed him as he stood by, waiting for Anne. Quite a few people he recognized from patrol, or someone or another who had reported a burglary, or some other slight. Being a member of the Watch for so long had granted him the unique privilege of meeting many members of the court, while still living within his humble means. On the way to finding the restroom, they had met Jenner, as he pulled himself away from a crowd of giddy young ladies to make an introduction. He bowed and saluted Thomas in a somewhat mock version of the Watch salute. He then took Anne's hand and kissed the back of it, bowing low to her, much to the sighs and laments of the girl standing around watching his every move. Seeing as you are the most beautiful woman in the room, you must be the lady Sir Christian told me about, no? Jenner laid it on thick, though in honesty he recognized Thomas from the watch. Not seeing anyone else representing the city's finest, he took the guess that these might be Christian's parents. Jenner rarely guessed wrong. Jenner spoke with great enthusiasm about Christian, talking up his deeds and involvement in the back-alley brawl far more than the modest version of the story Christian had recounted to them earlier. In fact, Jenner spoke of him in such high regard that his mother joked whether or not they were talking about the same person. Jenner assured her that her son was a pillar of modesty and bravery, which must naturally come from his father's side. Thomas, who was not one to play to pride, even allowed himself a little smile at the flattery. Then Jenner excused himself, spotting a new flock of young debutantes heading in his direction. Most interesting man indeed, Thomas had thought afterward. He sent the coin across the back of his hand ten more times, half tempted to poke his head into the ladies' room to see what was taking so long. Again, he sent the silver into the air, flicking it with... Flicking, flickering with light reflected off the sconces on the wall. Then the floor beneath him shook as if the building was crashing down. He was thrown forward, seeing everyone around him lose balance, followed by a cacophony of screams that erupted from the room behind him, screams that transitioned into moans and cries of sheer agony. Thomas dropped his hands down to steady himself, the coin hitting the floor and rolling away into the crowd. He turned around to see wreaths of flame lining the entrance into the ladies' restroom, 
The gears whirled in his head, and he let instinct kick in. He got up, sprinting down the short hallway, turning a corner into the room. His breath was taken away as he grabbed at the wall for support. Fire was everywhere. What he assumed had been the center of the room was now a gaping hole, and he could see down into the basement below, where a fire was raging. There were small objects zooming and spinning out of control. Some continued up, where he saw a hole in the ceiling, curtains burning on the second floor. Blood was splattered across the floorboards and up the walls. Some was dripping down the mirrors and already pulling into the sinks. He saw several smoking corpses, parts of their dresses incinerated where they must have been caught in the blast, the skin below charred black. A man, who must have fallen through the hole on the second floor, was impaled through the stomach on a support beam. His mouth gasped as blood spilled from his lips down the beam. Anne! Anne! Thomas yelled over the noise. A chair came tumbling down from above, hitting against the remnants of a stall before continuing down into the basement where it shattered to pieces, igniting like driftwood, feeding the flames. Thomas ducked down a little and moved his hand to walk the smoke out of the way. He took a step forward, testing the footing before sidestepping around the hole in the floor, making his way to the edge on the other side of the room. Cinders stung his face and hands. He came across a body, collapsed against the wall, but it was not Anne. He skimmed over her body, not seeing any major wounds, then held his hand to her nose and mouth to check for breath, which there was, but barely. He laid her back flat to keep her head as close to the floor as he could, then dragged her across the gap to the entrance to the room. He gave a shout down the hall, then turned back and continued to search. He jumped to the side as the beam from above came swinging down, colliding into the wall next to him before bouncing off the floor and continuing down into the basement. He glanced to where the stall should have been, but the majority of them must have been right over the explosion. He hopped over part of a collapsed wall, bringing him to the other side of the room. There, against a sink, unconscious, he saw Anne. Blood soaked her hair, and, she, and it was running down her face. As he got closer, he could see some small glass shards embedded in her chest and arms. He could still smell the scent of vanilla that must have been in the vase that shattered near her. He picked out what few pieces he could, then picked her up in his arms, holding her in front of him. He could hear voices coming from outside the room. "'Look out! It's coming down!' someone from above him yelled. He looked up in time to see part of the, roof's, the, part of the roof collapse, the fire already spreading throughout the second floor. Steel rafters came down, pinioning into floorboards and walls. He caught one on his right shoulder, spinning him like a top. His grip loosened on Anne, so he dropped to the floor, trying to cushion her as she slipped from his grasp, cradling her head with his left hand as they slid to the floor. He ripped, off, he ripped off his right shirt sleeve, looping it around his right shoulder, taking one end of the shirt between his teeth and pulling with his left hand as best he could, tying it off right above the gash on his shoulder. He regained his hold on Anne, making his way back to his feet. The entrance to the room was ablaze, but he could make out the shadows of figures right beyond the corridor. The fire had been eating away at the floorboards, and now the path which he had made to get here would require a short jump if he was to get back out the way he came. He looked down through the hole, but an ocean of fire covered the bottom floor. 
He counted to three in his head, then took a few quick steps and leapt out into the breach. His feet caught the edge of the floor, but the smoking wood cracked and splintered, his legs shooting through it. He crouched forward, groaning in pain as his elbows hit the restroom floor with a loud crack. A support beam ran across the floor a few inches from where his feet landed. Anne lay on the floor in front of him, his hands caught beneath her. The rest of his body dangled over the side. He kicked his feet, trying to find any kind of foothold. He could feel the flames licking at his legs, could feel the steady but constant increase in temperature as the fire below licked at his boots, melting the wax, catching the leather on fire. Help! Someone come here! He screamed as loud as he could, kicking his legs, trying to find footing. Thomas thought he heard Anne groan. He heard footsteps, and one of the ushers came around the corridor, a rag held to his mouth. Get her, quick, Thomas pleaded. The man came forward, taking Anne by her arms and pulling her away from the ledge. More's coming down! Thomas pulled himself up as much as he could and then looked up, in time to see a steel sheet coming straight at him. He did not even have time to yell out as it sliced through his face from forehead to chin. His arms went limp as his body slid back, splashing into the sea of flames below that was growing larger. Christian kept popping his head into the hallway, waiting to see his parents. His mother took forever in the restroom. He had learned this from living with her for the past 15 years. Want to go look for them? he asked Erica, who had pulled a seat up against the railing. She was sitting so that her feet could swing between the bars and her hands rested on the rails, her face pressed between two bars, like a juvenile criminal. Why, do you think they're lost? No. Do you think they forgot about us? Well, no. Are they trying to kick us out? Christian thought for a moment about who exactly they were, but he shook his head, saying no for the third time. Erica enjoyed watching the people on stage take down the scenery and move the set pieces around. What seemed so permanent and real was peeled or pulled or disassembled and broken down into smaller parts. Everyone on stage was wearing black, the grand costumes and pretty dresses nowhere in sight. She sighed, recognizing a few people from the chorus and others who played bit parts. None of it's real, is it? she asked. I do not think any of it was magic. It all looked real enough, though we were all the way. Erica giggled. That's not what I meant, silly. I mean, they weren't really princes and princesses. The castle wasn't really stone. It was all just pretend. Well, I believe it would cost a pretty penny to get a real to get real royalty in here. And a stone castle would be a pain to move around every day, Christian answered, mulling it over in his head. I suppose, she said, watching the curtains drawn back to roll parts of the castle off stage. The next thing Christian knew, he was throwing himself backwards as a column of sparks and fire erupted through the floor in the hallway outside the room. He covered his face as he turned and fell backward. Erica jumped with a start, turning around, putting her back to the railing, eyes wide, witnessing the blazing inferno beyond the door. Moments later, shouts of, Fire! Fire! and Get water! filled the auditorium. The people on stage scattered like rats, some darting off to the nearest exit, 
others running toward and shouting as other people who had been out in the lounge were fleeing into the auditorium. Do not move, just stay where you are, Christian said as he got to his feet, though one look at Erica told him that her not moving was not going to be a problem. Flames engulfed the curtains that had separated their room from the rest of the second floor, forming a blazing wall. The fire started to catch the decorations and wallpaper inside the room. Looking around, Christian grabbed the nearest chair and threw it at the curtains. The burnt cloth ripped and fell to shreds as the chair went through, taking most of the curtains with it. He heard the chair hit, ricocheting off something else, before the splintering of wood signified the chair's destruction. Christian edged forward, taking his jacket off and wrapping it around his hand so he could bat away what was left of the velvet divider. A hole had been made in the hallway of the second floor, and it looked like it had not only destroyed that floor, but the one below it as well. He could make out the forms of a few people on the floor below, in various states of injury, and saw a sea of fire below them, emanating from what he guessed was the basement. A creaking sound brought his attention upward, where he saw part of the ceiling had caught on fire, the starry night sky peeking through the opening. Kid, get out of there! Give me your hand! There was a man across and off to the side. He was waving in Christian's direction, a jump of only a couple feet. You have to get out of there! I cannot. I have someone else in here with me. Hold on, Christian said. The man started to say that there was no time, but Christian was back to the doorway onto the balcony before he finished his reply. Erica was still sitting back to the railing, watching the fire in terror. Christian peered below and saw that it had not spread into the auditorium yet. We have to get you out of here, Erica, Christian said, offering her his hand. Look out, it's coming down! Christian spun about, raising his hands, but saw nothing. The man outside had yelled. Probably the roof, he thought remembering the hole burned in the ceiling. Soon, this would be coming down as well. Christian walked over to Erica and grabbed her hand, half helping, half lifting her off her feet. He began to lead her toward the doorway when she pulled back. Not that way, she whimpered, her voice shaking, tears welling in her eyes. It's the only way out of the room. The fall over the balcony is too far, Christian reasoned with her, but it was little good. The more he tried to urge her on, the worse she got, until she was standing there, bawling her eyes out. Think, think, what would Dad do? Christian wondered for a moment. His dad was great under pressure. Why did he have to be here with Erica instead of his dad? His dad could cradle her in his arms and clear both of them to the other side. Christian would have to convince her to hold on to him so he could make the jump across to the second floor in safety. He walked up to the doorway, batting away more of the remnants of the curtain, but it did not help. After he assessed his work, he realized he only allowed a clearer view to the catastrophe that was going on the other side. No, 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 Erica mumbled, backing up against the railing. Christian looked at Erica, then looked again outside, trying to plan an escape. He looked around, glancing down again, then his heart leapt up, leapt up into his throat. There was his dad. He was in mid-jump across the hole in the first floor, holding someone. His voice was stuck in his throat when he saw his father slip, falling through part of the floor, his arms the only hold as the woman slid out of his hands onto the floor. Christian! Christian spun about. Erica was falling backwards. The railing was just... gone. 
He saw a thin film of dust in the air, but before he had time to think on it, he was catapulting himself towards the ledge. He slid to his knees and grabbed Erica's ankles as she fell back over the side. Christian dropped his body flat to the floor, his right arm over the side, as Erica screamed, swinging like a pendulum. He moaned with a gasp as her full weight pulled on his hand. His whole body slid a little to the edge until his head and a bit of his shoulder was over the side as well. He assessed the situation. Erica was dangling upside down, her dress over her head, struggling and screaming, only tangling herself up more in her outfit. He tried telling her to calm down, but he might as well have been trying to tell, give her instructions on Orin for all she was listening. She was still dangling a good seven feet from the ground, a cluster of overturned chairs below her head. Somewhere in the back of his head, it registered to him that this would be hilarious if everyone's life was not at stake. He edged forward, lying his body as flat as he could against the floor. Then he moved his other hand, slipping it over the side. He yelled to Erica to get her feet together. After what felt like forever, he was able to get a hold of both of her ankles, which made holding her less of a burden. But now he had to address the serious issue of getting her out of this predicament. He supposed a drop from seven feet wouldn't kill her if she could twist as she dropped, but the pile of chairs below her were not the kind of thing you would want breaking her fall, and Christian could not talk her into letting go of her skirt as to put her hands over her head to brace herself for the tumble. He tried pulling her up, but it was too much weight. He had never been the strongest of kids to begin with, and the positioning was not helping. Christian could feel the slightest hints of panic begin to set in when the decision was taken out of his hands. I always knew you'd be a good one with the ladies. Christian looked up the length of the room under the balcony and saw Jenner hurrying toward them, a smirk on his face. Erica, this is Jenner. He's the guy I told you about. He's a friend. Take his hands, Christian told her. It had been only minutes, but already his arms were sore and his palms were sweaty. Meanwhile, Jenner was tossing chairs out of the way, clearing the space below them so they could get down. Erica opened her eyes, blinking, seeing the man standing below her. He did a short little bow and then held his hands up to her. She reached down to grab his. Give a little slack, my boy. She's just out of reach, Jenner said. I'm holding her by the ankles. What exactly do you want me to do? Christian exclaimed, exacerbated. Drop her or pull her up. Those are your choices. Do one or the other, and do it now, Jenner snapped. Christian swallowed, then let loose his grip on Erica's ankles. Erica let out a gasp. It's all right, Chris. I've got her, Jenner said, taking both of her hands in his. Christian looked down. Her feet came down and her body swung over, colliding into Jenner's with a slight oomph from him as her knees caught him in the stomach, but no worse for wear. He lowered Erica to her feet where she dropped down to her knees, sniffling and wiping tears from her eyes. Her face was crimson, the tears and the rush of blood to her head taking its toll. Now it's your turn, sir, Christian, er, Jenner said, raising his hands up for Christian. Wait, I have to see something first, Christian said, turning about and running back to the doorway. He looked down, but his father was gone. You've got to see something. Chris, look about you. My theater is burning down around us, and I'd rather not go down with the ship if it's all the same to you. Jenner was right. Christian looked around. The fire had progressed 
working its way out into the auditorium, fires arching along the ceiling. The room beyond was a conflagration, not a great way to escape, even if you wanted to. He turned back around, moving over to the ledge. He sat down, then hopped over the side, turning about as he went, grabbing the ledge with his hands, then dropping down to his feet, going into a crouching position to lessen the impact. He dusted himself off before looking around, then turned to Jenner. Uh, your building is on fire, he said, as if one might say, Oh, you got a haircut. Yes, apparently it's the only way I can bring the house down, he replied, never missing a beat. Uh, care to exit stage left? Christian offered Erica a hand to get up, which she took, blushing a little. You okay? he asked. Well, okay in as much as you are in a burning building and not harmed? She nodded. This anyone's? It was Jenner. In the tumble, Erica's pendant must have come off. Jenner held it at the tip of his rapier, having scooped it off the ground. Erica nodded again, and Jenner lowered it to her, which she took and stuffed into a dress pocket. This way, Jenner said, thinking it was time to get moving as they could pick up with the pleasantries later. A few stray fireworks had shot through the doors into the auditorium. Small fires had started, but it was still the part least affected by the explosion. Jenner looked, but all the main exits into the foyer were lit with flame. He led them to the stage, down the same hallway that Christian went down the first time he came to visit. They walked down to the end, taking a turn into Jenner's room. Have a seat. I need to grab a few things, Jenner said, going about the room, grabbing some articles of clothing, rifling through the closets and dressers. What happened to making a quick exit? Christian asked. Oh, I have no doubt that this building is doomed. I don't know if you got to look at the basement, but... There was no cigar or careless stagehand lighting fireworks. This was high-commissioned and well-executed arson. Jenner searched through some drawers, taking small bags and pieces of jewelry, tossing them into a larger bag he had procured. Even so, it will take more than a few minutes for it to get back here, so I feel we're safe enough to calm ourselves and gather our strength. There's a tunnel I had built below this room that will take us out to the river. Christian nodded, looking about the room. He looked over at Erica, who was sitting, tapping her feet and fidgeting with her hands. She leaned over and put a hat on that was lying on the floor. When she noticed Christian looking at her, she pulled the brim of the hat down over her face and tilted her head to the ground. "'Isn't this a lady's hat?' she asked. "'Yes, like it, it's yours. You're free to take, it whatever you, you're free to take whatever you can carry.' "'Why do you have a woman's hat in your room?' Well, an artist plays many roles, Jenner said as he made one last trip about the room, grabbing the last few things he could toss into the sack. Erica nodded and got up, looking at the few close things in her vicinity, but taking none, seeming to settle on the hat in her hand. Christian looked about, but he could not concentrate. He kept thinking of his parents, the fire approaching outside the door, and the bodies. And here they were, selecting choice items to take with them, as if they were all going on a short vacation. I reckon it'll be a vacation of sorts, Jenner said, looking at Christian, tucking the last few items away. You can read minds? Christian said, surprised and unsettled, wary of the man. 
<laughs> Not likely. I am, however, a great reader of faces, and you, my friend, should never sit at a poker table. Christian thought on that comment. Seeing that Jenner appeared to be almost done, he looked through the nearest set of drawers. He found some money, which he asked Jenner if he should have. Jenner said that money was the least important thing in here, and that he was welcome to it. He also grabbed a brooch that had a pair of crossed swords on it, and a handkerchief that smelled like the room the first time he visited. He stuffed both into his pockets. When he was done, he looked up to see Jenner pushing the lavish circular bed aside. Underneath it was a large stone cut of floor that was different from the rest. Jenner grabbed a latch under a sconce and pulled up, sliding the trap door to the left. Below it, Christian saw what looked like a circular stone well. Stairs spiraled down one side for perhaps seven or eight feet that ended in a landing. An iron bar came out of the wall on the landing in the middle of the wall and continued down into the darkness. What the... how are we supposed to get down? Christian asked as the pole disappeared down into darkness. It's ingenious, really, Jenner said as he took the lead down the steps. I saw it for the first time in an Orin play about a night watch brigade that lived on the floor above their watch house and used one to get downstairs. Jenner led the way down to the landing. Christian and Erica followed behind, then peered down into the darkness. It's not as far down as it looks, or doesn't look, I suppose. Here, watch, Jenner said as he leaned forward, taking the pole in both hands, then pulling his body to it, wrapping his knees and ankles around the pole as he slid down into the darkness. They heard him slide, and then the sound of boots touching down on stone. A few moments later, torchlight lit up the bottom, which was only 12 or 15 feet down. See, nothing to it, Jenner said, securing the torch to the sconce as he talked, then stood near the base. Just hold onto the pole and you'll control how fast you'll slide down. Mother Nature will take care of the rest. Um, ladies first, Christian said in his best mock Jenner voice, bowing to Erica. He was not scared, but he did not want to slide down and then have trouble convincing Erica to do the same, because it did not seem like getting up would be as easy as going down. She managed to smile, stepping up to the ledge, and leaned out and grabbed the pole with both hands. Then she jumped out. Yes, well, I suppose one can hold on too tightly, Jenner said. Erica opened her eyes. She was right where she had started, wrapped around the pole, going nowhere. She managed a little nervous laughter before sliding down a bit, stopping every few inches, but none the worse for wear. As Christian leaned forward and followed suit, he could hear Erica complaining that her dress was dirty where it had rubbed against the pole. Jenner said he would buy her a new one. It was a pretty straight shot down the tunnel, and it seemed that the only way into it was the way they had come, and wherever the exit was. At one point, Christian asked how much it had cost and how long it had taken to build it. Jenner said that it had taken a little over a year, but as to the cost, he didn't know. My mother once told me that if you had to ask what something cost, you probably couldn't afford it, he explained. So, I never ask. Your mom sounds like my mom, Erica said, walking between Jenner and Christian. Is she as batty at times as she is eccentric? She's dead. Jenner had no witty comeback to that. 
they fell into silence and continued on the rest of the way in the same fashion. The tunnel ended at a steel grate that had been overgrown with lichen and kudzu. Jenner pulled a skeleton key from one of his many pockets, turning the key, the key this way and that, changing the depth at which it was pushed into the lock, until it opened, the rustling of the foliage against the ground the sole indicator of its passage. They stepped out into the moonlight, and Christian recognized where they were. What he thought had just been a leaf-covered grate was attached to a leaf-covered hill, the same hill that stood near the laundry spot where he went every week. All this time, he remarked, more to himself than anyone else. It was here the whole time, and I never noticed. I had struggled with the idea of a marquee and a doorman, but decided against it in the end. Christian looked at Jenner, puzzled, but Erica had the good sense to laugh. Well, what now? I think it best if you two stayed at my place for the night. I can't help but wonder if your first visit in the fire can't have had something in common. We should go to the watch. They're probably already they're probably already at the rat. They will need help. They will have questions. Mother and father will be there, Christian began. Chris, do you remember those men you ran into in the alley, the ones we had that little dance with? Jenner asked as he closed the grate, securing the latch, and walked away from the hill a little, looking in the direction of the rat. I think they might have something to do with it. They probably told someone else, told them what happened. Have you seen anything else strange like this? Christian looked at Erica, who had her head bowed again. Uh, yeah, about a week ago or so, some people burned down Erica's house, when everyone was still in it. They lived next door and I saw the fire, but when I got there, Erica was the only one alive. I got her out, but everyone else. Do you think the same people are after Erica, or after me? Christian said, feeling very naked, standing in the moonlight by the river. I don't have any solid answers, but I think making a trip to the watch now, in darkness, is what they want us to do, if they want us to do anything. We should go in the morning when there's light. I can get an escort, or I can take a carriage. Something better than walking the streets at this hour in clothes that smell of smoke and look the part. The child and Christian wanted to see his parents more than anything, but he knew Jenner was right. Think like a watchman, his father had always told him. Even when the situation seemed simple, and this was far from simple, he looked to Erica, who had gone very quiet, and then nodded at Jenner. You are right, we should go to your place, Christian agreed. Jenner pointed in the direction. It was only a few blocks down from where they were now, part of the reason he had the tunnel built where it was. Do you have paper at your house? Christian asked. I believe so, yes. It's hard to write a play without one. Why? Because I have a lot to write down. Hello, and thank you for listening to the World of Grey podcast. For any questions about the podcast, or the books in general, email me at podcast at josephporthos.com. My two books, Fallen Throne and Dark Halo, are available for download on the Amazon Kindle store for the low price of $3 apiece. I don't output a ton of updates, but when I do release one, you can find it on Facebook at Joseph Porthos, or on my website located at josephporthos.com. I hope you enjoyed today's chapter, and I look forward to you tuning in again next time. This is Joseph Porthos, signing off.